clear when I was talking about the burgers, but they needed a certain amount of money for those uh, books, and we got in pretty much exactly what they needed. So thank you. That was just thanking you for that. That was awesome. That was a yes. That was such a blessing. All right, we're continuing today in our study in the book of James, called Wisdom for Everyday Life. Now y'all aren't too tired for this, are you? You're not going to hold back on me, are you? I, mean, I got to get up here and preach this so you can amen it, right? Okay. Now last week I taught on wisdom about God's law, and our text was James two. 10 through 11, that says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. For if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You can keep the whole law and yet just, uh, uh, except for one, and, and you're still a lawbreaker. And last week, somebody asked a question, I thought it was a great question, that I'm going to answer briefly this morning. The question was, does this mean, does this passage mean that all sin is equal in the eyes of God? And the answer is yes and no. So if you thought yes, you're right. If you thought no, you're right. Yes, all sin is equal in this way. Any sin you commit causes you to be a lawbreaker. That's the point James is making. You can't diminish one sin or anything like that when it comes to if you've broken one, you, if you've committed one, you've broken the law of God. The petty thief is a lawbreaker just like the murderer. But no, not all sin is equal in the eyes of God because some sins, and we'll see here in a second, are greater than others, and there are greater consequences for committing these sins. I mean, just think about it. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and one of the things that means is, is he filled it further because the, the Old Testament Mosaic law only dealt with outward acts. It's what you did. And Jesus came along, he said, well, you've heard it said, you know, thou shalt not kill, but I, I'm telling you, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've killed them in your heart. Well, killing in, in your heart is, is a sin, but would you rather they killed you in their heart or actually came to your house and killed you? Which is worse, actual murder. He, Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. What would you rather, your spouse thought about cheating on you or they actually did it? Actually doing it is worse. There's greater. In the Old Testament, there was even levels of punishment for sin some, and, and sacrifice. Some sins required the sacrifice of a dove. Some would require a lamb. Some would require a, a bull. Some resulted in a death sentence. There were greater consequences for intentional sins as opposed to sins committed in ignorance. There were greater consequences for greater sins. Now, if you have an issue with the phrase greater sin, I want you to realize Jesus actually used that phrase. He did it in, when he was talking to Pilate, when he was brought before Pilate before he was crucified. In John 19, 11, Jesus said to him, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has, has the greater sin. Jesus says there are some sins that are greater, and some translations say worse sin. Jesus said some sins are greater. Some sins are, are worse than others. But all sins, this is the good news, all sins can be, can be forgiven by the grace of God. Yeah. Except the unpardonable sin. 
I just opened up a whole bunch of other questions right there that I'm not going to talk about today. But the fact, that, the, the fact that there is an unpardonable sin in the New Testament shows that there was a sin so great that God does not even forgive it. So in the sense of sinning breaks the law, yes, all sin is equal. But in the sense of there's greater sins and worse sins and, 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 and greater consequences. I, can you see the difference there? I hope you saw that from the scripture. That's not my sermon this morning, but I, I wanted to, to answer that question because I thought it was a very good question. Today, I'm preaching a sermon entitled, Mercy Triumphs. Can you say that? Mercy Triumphs. I just love that phrase, Mercy Triumphs. And I get it from our text. We're in James 2, verses 12 and 13. You can turn in your Bibles. The passages are always on the screen. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged. We're in the New Testament here, right? Right? Come on, so hang with me. Wake up. <laughs> speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful Mercy triumphs over judgment. The first thing James tells us here is to speak and act in a way that's aware of the fact that we're all going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Speak and act. And James talks more in this book. We'll see. A big, a big theme of James is be a doer of the word. Don't just think about doing it. Don't just talk about doing it. Actually do it. So you need more than words. Words are not enough. But also he's talking about this. Listen, everything we do and say, we're going before the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus said, every idle word will, that we have spoken will be judged. And we've got to think about this. We've got to speak and act as people who know we're going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. But what is this law that gives freedom? What is this law of liberty? It's the same phrase James used in James 1.25. The one who looks intently, intently into, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, this person will be blessed in what he does. You remember he said it's like they look in the book and they see themselves as look, like they're looking in the mirror and they go away and forget who they are. They read the Bible, they see who they are in Christ, they walk away and they forget it. They, they know they're forgiven for one second, then they're under condemnation the next. They're, they're double-minded, they're, they're believe it, they don't believe it. They're unstable in all their ways. James says they're not going to receive anything from God. But the one who does this, they'll be blessed in what they do. It's pretty interesting to me here because we usually don't think of laws as giving freedom. We think of laws as restricting. But the restrictions of the law lead to a freedom. Think about driving laws as an example. If there were no driving laws, driving would be chaotic and extremely dangerous. It already is even with the laws. But imagine what it would be like if people were deciding, I'm going to drive on the left side today, not the right. And you would be, I mean, that would be 
You would be staying off of I-20. I don't know. You'd be walking everywhere. I mean, it'd be like, this is chaotic. chaotic. No, no laws and people just doing what they want to do, fast as they want to do, turning however they want to turn. But, but when we have laws to obey and when people obey the laws, we have freedom to drive without being in bondage to fear. That, that on a little, in a little way is an example of what walking in the law of freedom of God is because the law of Christ, that's what we're under. Remember, we talked last week. If you weren't here last week, you need to get that message and, and it's online and, and learn about rightly dividing the word of truth. And we are under not the law of Moses, but the law of Christ, the law of love. The, the, and Jesus said, remember when Jesus gave us the great commission uh, at Matthew 28, he said, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. All things Jesus Christ command. That's what we're supposed to teach, the commands of Christ, the law of Christ. And that law is not a burden. 1 John 5, 2 through 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Don't tell me you love God and you just live like you want to live. Don't tell me you love God and you disobey him. We all mess up. We all fall. But I'm talking about people who deliberately, intentionally live in a lifestyle of sin. And his commandments are not burdensome. The Greek word for burdensome there means heavy, severe, oppressive. It's the same word Jesus used in Matthew 24 when he rebuked the Pharisees and he said, they crush people with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Those pharisaical, pharisaical commands, the Old Testament, all it, it was a burden. But Jesus, the Bible says that the commands of Christ, of, of Christ are not burdensome. God does not burden us with an unreachable, unattainable list of laws. Her, his commands are not burdensome because there's things that a, there, there are things that a good God who loves us and who knows what's best for us. It's those. That outcome that he's wanting is, is, is why he is giving us rules, laws, to principles to live by. If you're, think, if you're a parent, think about why you want your children to obey you. Because you're a tyrant that just loves to rule little children? No, you want them to obey you because they love you and because they know you love them and you want what's best for them. And you know you're the one to teach them, and you've got to teach them to obey. You know the obedience, and when they obey, they, they, they are free and more free in life. It's the same way with our Father God. He treats us as sons and daughters, not, a, not as slaves, and he knows that obeying him will result in freedom in our lives. Think about all the addictions and sin and bondages people get into for, because they disobey God, and they want to say, well, I want to be free to do what I want. And they've got 16 addictions hanging all off of them. And they want to call themselves free. But when we obey God, when we walk in his ways out of love for him and knowing that he loves for us, it sets us free. Now, this law of freedom, it's not lax towards sin. 
It's not lax because G James says we'll be judged by this royal law of love and mercy. And, and we need to know that fact and we need to, we need to know and understand that we, we will be judged by the law of Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, we, we need to all have this impressed on us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11 says, we must all, can you say all? all. Does all include you? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You will stand one day before Jesus Christ, you and him. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Some people never try to persuade anybody because they have no fear of God. They have no reverential awe of God. But we're all going to die and we're going to all face God's judgment. And that fact should impact the way we live today. Way too many Christians have a nonchalant view of this or they don't think about it at all. Way too many Christians know nothing about the fear of God. Way too many Christians think that because they are saved and going to heaven, it doesn't matter how they live. Way too many Christians fail to realize they'll give an account someday for how they live their lives, how they speak, and how they act. That's why James said, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now remember, a theme of this chapter is discrimination. In fact, you know, as I've, I've never seen it as much as I have in this study. Really, it's a, it's a common theme all through James because he started in chapter one, we remember saying, let the brother of low degree rejoice that he is exalted and let the rich rejoice that they've been humbled, that we're, we're all even in the body of Christ. And he was trying to deal with an issue there. He was laying a foundation and he got to chapter two and said, do not discriminate, uh, do not show favoritism based on, on, on income or ethnicity or education or anything else. And, and when we discriminate and we show partiality, we are showing judgment without mercy. Especially when there's prejudice, which is prejudging. Just because of the color of your skin or whatever, I'm going to think I know who you are and treat you accordingly. Number one, that's pretty ignorant. And number two, it, it, James said it, it's sinful. And James says there's a price to pay for that. He says, if you don't show mercy, listen to this. This is serious. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You reap what you sow. As those who will be judged by the law of liberty, we should always show mercy to others by refraining from discrimination. The same mercy we show will be extended to us on the day of judgment, and that mercy triumphs over judgment. James is reminding us of a principle that his brother, Jesus, remember he's, he's the half-brother of Christ, his brother Jesus preached on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7, 1 and 2, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. How are you gonna do? And with the standard you use, 
will be the standard by which you are judged. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. We receive mercy when we give mercy. We don't receive mercy when we withhold mercy. So what exactly is mercy? Well, it's kind of like grace, but a little different. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is receiving something from God that we do not deserve. For instance, salvation. We're saved by grace. By faith through and grace, not, not by works as any man should boast. None of us can, etern- can earn eternal life. None of us are good enough on our own. It's only by the grace of God that we are born again and are saved from a life headed to hell to a life headed to heaven. Every good thing in our life is a gift of God's grace. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. Are you grateful for grace? Now listen to me. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. What do we deserve? The wages of sin is death. And we are all sinners. And sinners apart from Christ, the Bible says all of us would then deserve to burn in hell. I know people don't like hearing that today. That's what Jesus said. But God, when we place our faith in in the the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his grace and his mercy, his grace gives us salvation that we don't deserve. And his mercy doesn't give us the eternal damnation that we do deserve. We need grace and mercy. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Aren't you glad God's mercy is new every morning? I'm glad it's new every morning because I need it every morning. Listen, I always tell people this. Listen to me closely right now. Never ask God for what you deserve. You want to get on that basis with God? Oh, God, you know I deserve this. I've been a good boy this week. I I deserve this. You need to give it to me. Don't ask God for what what you deserve. Ask God for mercy. You see, when when we go to God in prayer, we really only go for two things. I know we have a million unique needs, But Hebrews 4, 6 says this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We need two things from God, grace and mercy. Grace to give us things we don't deserve and mercy to not give us what we do deserve. You go to God for one or the other. You ask him for grace or mercy. Thank you so much. Mercy includes compassion, kindness, forgiveness, a word we hardly use anymore, forbearance, and leniency shown to an offender. The New International Dictionary describes mercy as forbearance from inflicting punishment on an adversary or a lawbreaker. Forbearance is a legal term meaning restraining or refraining from enforcement of a debt, right, or obligation that is due. Because when somebody wrongs you, you feel they are indebted to you. You feel they need to pay. 
But mercy says, I'm going to show you forbearance. I'm going to restrain myself and refrain from trying to make you pay. I'm going to show you mercy. Here's another way of thinking about mercy. Think about this. If you were on trial for something and you were found guilty and it came time for sentence, would you ask the judge, judge, give me what I deserve. Judge, throw the book at me. Judge, give me the maximum and double it. God, give me what I deserve. Or would you ask the judge for mercy? Receiving mercy would mean, judge, don't throw the book at me. Don't give me the maximum. Go easy on me. That's called throwing yourself on the mercy of the court. Showing mercy. What do we want from God? Judgment or mercy? Mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. And when we come to Jesus for salvation, he gives us mercy, the forbearance, forbearance of the penalty of our sins. We are guilty, guilty. We owe the debt. We did the sin. But God grants us mercy, permanent forbearance. I love that. And having received that mercy, that forbearance, that restraint, God expects us to, uh, to do the same with our, our fellow Brothers and sisters, what do you think God wants us to give others, judgment or mercy? Micah 6.8 tells us, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. God wants justice. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. And people usually are People out for justice on one hand or people out for mercy on the other hand. And it all depends on who's getting the justice or the mercy. We all love mercy when we need it. But how much do we love mercy when we have to show it to somebody else? We all love mercy when we've done wrong, but how much do we love mercy when others have wronged us? We all love mercy when we need to forgiveness. We need forgiveness. How much do we love it when we need to forgive somebody? It's so easy to get into the spirit of Jonah receiving mercy for ourselves and wanting judgment for others. You know Jonah. You know the story. Jonah was running from God. God created this fish to swallow him up. In the middle of the belly of that fish, he repented and spit him out on dry land. And Jonah came out running which way to Nineveh. And he went to Nineveh to preach for them to repent. And then when they repented, Job got mad. Because God showed them forbearance. He was wanting the fire to fall and destroy them all like Sodom and Gomorrah, like the disciples in the New Testament, the sons of thunder. You want us, Jesus, to call down fire on them? And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you are of. You're of a spirit of judgment, not of mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And you thank God for that. We want forbearance from God, but we want to want those who wrong us to pay. But God wants us to show mercy to others, to others. He wants us to love mercy, not just for ourselves, but for others too. James 5.11, we'll come to in a, who, who know how long when we get to James 5, is the Lord is full of compassion 
and mercy. If we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that means we should be coming more full of compassion and mercy. And do you think God showed mercy to you because you were so great? Because you were so lovable? Because you were so good? Because you were so holy? God showed mercy to us, first of all, when we were sinners. When we were enemies... Ephesians 2, 3 through 6, like everyone who fills the lust of the fle- fulfills the lust of the flesh, we were by nature objects of wrath. He's talking about God's wrath. That's, you don't hear much about this anymore. The wrath of God is shown against all disobedience. Here's the great thing about being in Christ. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ at the cross, not for his sin, but for ours. He is our propitiation. That's a fancy word, meaning mercy seat, meaning that God's not angry at us anymore, but we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, aren't you glad? God's not poor in mercy. God's not stingy with mercy. He's rich. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead because of our sins. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. God showed us mercy when we were sinners. God showed us mercy when we we were objects of wrath. God showed us mercy, and he did not stay angry with us. Micah 7, 18 says, Who was a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the rebellion of those who remain among your people? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. I think it was in your word, Beth, this morning too. God is angry for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Listen. Every single one of us have people in our lives who have sinned against us. And in the natural, in our flesh, we want to make them pay. We want to stay mad at them and make them pay because if we don't make them pay, who's going to make them pay? And they need to pay. Some of y'all got accounts, books that go back to 1967 and you can point the date and time of every time you were wrong. And you're making people pay for it still. But the Lord said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. If you want to try to take the place of God and do that, you're going to be a hard taskmaster in somebody else's life and in your own. And it's going to hinder the work of God in their life and in yours. What we fail to realize is that it's kindness that leads to repentance, not judgment. Romans 2, 1 through 4 says, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who judge the others do the very same thing. Now think about this. Think about almost every argument you ever had probably, especially with your spouse. Well, I'll just, I'll limit it to us. And I'll limit it to me. Because I'm a wise man who's been married almost 50 years. And I will. When we have an argument, and yes, we do, and it's usually my fault. I'm taking it on the chin, baby. And she points out something in me that I did wrong. 
I think probably a lot of y'all do it too. What is the first thing that comes out of your mouth? But you did the exact same thing. Here's my book. January 6, 1978, 3.45 after the afternoon. I my computer sheet. Come on, here it is. You do the exact same thing, and it's true. And it just proves this point. We who judge the others, we, we do the exact same things. And now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and do the, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? What he's talking about there is like, God, why aren't you getting them? God, why aren't you making them pay? God, why aren't you doing something about this? God, why, you need to go get them, God. You're showing contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Mercy leads to repentance. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is greater than judgment. It leads to life. It gives second chances. I'll give you a few examples from the Bible real quick about mercy triumphing. How about Joseph? His brother sold him into slavery, sinned, him, sinned, sinned against him greatly. He spent years in prison until God got him out and set him over the land, and he had power over all the food because the, there was famine everywhere, and his own brothers came to had to get food from him. He could have had them all kill, killed. He could have said, off with their heads, where he showed mercy, and mercy triumphed. How about the prodigal son when he returned home? He deserved nothing. He deserved nothing. He took everything his daddy gave him and blew it, just like many of us do with God. Yet the father cleaned him up, threw a party, dressed him up, gave him gifts. He showed him grace and mercy. Mercy triumphed. And so many of us are like the elder brother who resented when God blesses somebody that we think deserves judgment. Well, look at them. They did this, and they did that, and they did that. And you, you're throwing them a party, and you haven't even given me a Twinkie. What, what is the deal here? I was just thinking something small compared to a cake. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Here's one of the greatest examples in John 8. Some Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus who'd been caught in the act of adultery. I don't know how she did it all by herself because she was the only one that was brought to Jesus. Hmm. That was interesting. <laughs> and Jesus was asked if they should stone her according to the law of Moses. Jesus said, he is without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? He, has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. And so many people put a period right there. Even people in the world, they know this passage. Well, Jesus said, don't cast no stones. He said, neither do I condemn you. And I said, can you keep on and read the rest of that passage? Because he did say, go and sin no more. But these people wanted to stone this sinner. And Jesus said, go ahead, but only the one who never sinned can, can stone her. Of course, no one was left that could stone her except for him. He could have. He was without sin. 
He was the only one qualified to stone her, but he showed her mercy. He gave her what, he, what she did not deserve, mercy, forgiveness, another chance. Mercy triumphed over judgment. Did she deserve to die according to the law? Yes, but Jesus gave her what she did not deserve, mercy. And I believe she went away changed for life. I believe she went away changed. What, was he condoning adultery? No, he told her, go and sin no more. Mercy does not mean we overlook sin and let people get away with everything. There's a time for justice. There's a time for mercy. But we're preaching on mercy today. And, and God wants to give us the freedom to, 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 and the power to go and sin no more. That's what God mercy can do for you. We've all been caught in sin. We all need mercy. We've all been worthy of rocks being thrown to us. And no matter how deep your sin, no matter how hopeless it feels, God has tender mercies that will bring you through. I know what you need today. I know exactly what you need. You need grace and mercy. You need it from God. You need it from others. And you need to show it to others. No, I know they don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace and mercy. That's why mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen, I'm speaking to everybody today. I know I'm going a little long, but they cut my time short, so blame them. It's their fault. <laughs> I'm sorry, my brother. <laughs> I do show mercy. It really doesn't bother me to go over. If you've got to leave, you can just leave. That's, always the, that's the deal, right? If you've got to leave, you can go. Just always know that. that that's the deal. We're going to keep going. Um, We've all been wrong. We've all been hurt. We've all been called names. We've all been played, betrayed, delayed, and unpaid. We've all been mistreated, cheated, or defeated. We've all been rejected, neglected, disconnected, or disrespected. That's why we all need to learn to give mercy. We all need to learn to forgive. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The amplified version I have up here, forgive means let go of the debts, that's whatever you're holding against them, let it go, and give up resentment towards them. And God's saying you're going to be forgiven just as you forgive others. You forgive a little, you'll get forgiven a little. You forgive a lot, you'll be forgiven a lot. You forgive completely, you'll be forgiven completely. You don't forgive at all, you won't be forgiven at all. God is saying give up your right to, to hurt other people, to get back at them. Choose mercy over judgment. I know that's harder, it's hard to do, but choosing not to forgive and not to show mercy will make your life harder. You can choose not to forgive. You can hang on to the offense. But if you do, you will choose to stay in pain. You will choose to give power to the person that, that, that wronged you. You're giving them more power over your life. And they probably don't even care about it. And here you are in bondage to what they did to you. And you give an advantage to Satan because the Bible says that unforgiveness is one of his devices. And you'll be choosing then for unforgiveness to triumph over you. You can turn that around by allowing mercy to triumph in your life. You can show mercy and grace to others and receive it from God because God wants to give it to you. Listen, you can keep throwing rocks. You can keep trying to make people pay. But I encourage you today as I close, mercy triumphs over judgment. I encourage you today, put down your rocks. 
Quit throwing stones and start showing mercy. Give up your anger and hold on to love. Give up your judgment and hold on to grace. Choose to forgive and let mercy triumph in your life and in your family and in your relationships and over every area of life. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, amen. Stand to your feet. Lord God, forgive us. Forgive me. Lord, we've all been guilty of judging, of withholding forgiveness, of not showing mercy, of not giving grace. Oh, God, change us, Lord. Change our hearts, Lord. Forgive us, God. Grant us godly sorrow for our sin. Grant us repentance, Lord, to turn from that, to turn from that critical, judgmental attitude and heart to a heart of mercy, a heart of grace. I pray you do that work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm asking the prayer team to come down.